Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the great opportunity that you give us to preach your word. And I believe, Lord, this morning you have supplied a special word to the church. Lord, for healing of our emotions, for healing, O oh God, in our spirit. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for that precious anointing to fall upon me and upon the church. That, God, you would open our heart and our ears to hear what the Holy Spirit would say and teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you on the subject, are you consenting to your own death? That sounds ominous, doesn't it? Are you consenting to your own death? Let me read what the Lord's given me for this morning. Are you believing any lies that are not based on God's word? I want you to think about that for a moment. Are you believing any lies that are not based on God's word? Have you made any agreements with those lies that are causing you to make unhealthy or unholy vows? When you accept the lie attached to a wound, you are giving consent to the enemy of your soul to legally assault you. I want to say that again so it sinks in. When you accept the lie, and we'll talk about those lies, that's attached to a wound, a hurt, something that's happened to you that's been traumatic, you are giving consent to the enemy of your soul to legally assault you. You are signing a warrant for your spiritual arrest and emotional imprisonment. That's a lot of words, Pastor. When you agree with the lies that the enemy is bringing to your soul and your spirit, what you're really doing is you're signing a warrant for your spiritual arrest and emotional imprisonment. Jesus warned the disciples in Matthew 24 and verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Everybody wants to know what's going to happen. The disciples wanted to know, how's the world going to end? And when are you coming, Jesus? And it's driving some people to the ledge if they're not careful. But look at the response of Jesus. Look what he said in Matthew 24 and verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Boy, that, that's an odd reply right. to a question of when's the world going to end and when are you coming back? And instead of addressing that issue at that moment, the first words that came out of the mouth of Jesus was, let no man deceive you. So let's talk about deception for a moment. What does deceive mean? It means to cause someone to believe what is not true. I want you to sink that into your spirit. To believe something that's not true. To mislead someone. To ensnare them. To seize them. To, de to beguile them. To delude them. To dupe them. To lead someone into error 
danger, or a disadvantaged position, often by underhanded means. The enemy doesn't play fair. The enemy is very cunning. Paul warned us to not be ignorant of his devices, his machinations that come against us. What is deception? Deception involves, listen, deliberate concealment or the misrepresentation of the truth. Deliberate concealment or misrepresentation of the truth. To deceive is to cause someone to accept what is false, especially by trickery or misrepresentation. To deceive is to lead someone astray. Mm. To pull the wool over their eyes and to put something over on them and take them for a ride. Pretty plain. This is the work of the enemy. So let's talk about this for a moment. Are you consenting to your own death? The Bible says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, look at the first part, and Saul was consenting unto his death. I'm going to stop here for a moment. We're talking about Stephen, the first martyr of the church, who was stoned to death by these religious people. And Saul, who became Paul the apostle, consented with the rulers and the chief priests of that time to harass and to persecute the church. And I want to say this. This is the verse. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, the word consent means to be pleased and approved together with others. It's a consent. It's an agreement. To be pleased at the same time. It means to consent to something or agree to something. And this is exactly what the enemy wants you to do concerning the lies that are attached to your wounds. He wants you to consent with him and agree with him that those lies are true and what Jesus is trying to tell you is false. Hmm. So look what happened here. Saul received the consent or the agreement from the rulers and chief priests to cause the death of Christians. And what is death? It's destruction. It's to kill. It's to murder. It's to take away. It's to abolish. It's to put out of the way. And we all know that verse that the, the enemy comes, the devil comes, but for to steal, kill, and destroy. He plays in an underhanded way. He's very subtle and seductive in his approach. So what happened? When Saul started to persecute the church with agreement from the rulers and chief priests, a great persecution took place. And what is a great persecution? It causes people to run or to flee. It causes people to be put to flight or to be driven away. Persecution is this. It's someone who is running after you and swiftly running after you in order to catch you. Persecution is this. Someone that is trying to press into your space with unholy talk or lies. It's someone 
who runs this race so quickly because they believe there's a goal to be attained. It means to pursue in a hostile manner, in any way, whatever, to harass someone, to trouble someone, to molest someone, to persecute someone, to mistreat someone, to seek after someone eagerly and earnestly. Who am I describing? I'm describing the enemy of your soul. This is his vocation. This is his calling. This is his heart's desire to catch you and somehow turn you around and spin you around to make you believe some lie that's not even true. Persecution is eventually going to come to the Christian church in America. It's already begun. I'm an avid sports fan. And a young player on the San Francisco Giants, which is a team that I root for, refused to kneel before the national anthem. He was the only one. And there was a headline in the newspaper that he did something really stupid. And you know what he did, what they called stupid? He said, I'm a follower and believer in Jesus Christ, and the only person I kneel to is Jesus. But they labeled him, and I'm going to talk about this label here in a moment. They labeled him stupid. A young man who I have great respect for because he stood with boldness and courage and said, listen, I kneel to Jesus. Listen, this world doesn't understand. There's going to come a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to just be a matter of time, my friend, before they all fall down on their knees and at least one time acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They're not going to like that moment, but they are going to bow according to the word of God. Now follow me in this sermon here. The Bible says in Acts 8 and verse 2, it says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And great lamentation is this. They, they were beating their breast. They, it was a sign of grief. They, they were bewailing. Because these people were gnawing on Stephen with their teeth as they were throwing rocks at his head trying to kill him, which they eventually accomplished. Can you imagine like wolves? Gnashing teeth. Biting. Accosting. Molesting. Violating a body of a human being. And the disciples in the church saw this. And men saw this and they cried. They wailed and they mourned because one of theirs was being killed. But let me remind you of something. You know, the Bible teaches us that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. But that day, you know when things get tough and things are going to get tough? The Bible says that day the heaven opened and Stephen saw Jesus not sitting at the right hand of the Father, but standing at the right hand of the Father. And listen, my friend, brothers and sisters, when life gets tough, Jesus will not sit, but he will stand, hallelujah, and make intercessory prayer for you and stretch forth his hand from heaven and say, that's my daughter, and that's my son, and that's my child, hallelujah. Praise God. These are the sons and daughters of God, and he will come to our aid because he is a man of war. 
Make no mistake about that. Verse 3. And as for Saul, now here's the sermon. He made havoc, underline that word in your spirit, of the church, entering, underline that word, into every house and hailing, underline that word, men and women. He committed, underline that word, them to prison and underline that word. Now let's talk about how this verse relates to you and me at this present time. And you know, when God gave me this this week, you start to reflect on why. What's, what's the reason? And you've heard me say many times, especially when I uh, was pastoring the prison church and especially the women, they dealt with such shame and guilt because of where they had been. And many of them said to me, Pastor, I, I know that God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. And that's not even biblical. Because the Bible says that God puts our sins as far as the east is to the west and they will not meet. He puts it into the sea of forgetfulness. And I, I work with them in, in counseling. I, I work with them in the church through sermons and preaching to them and helping them. To help them to understand that why are they remembering things that they did that Jesus has forgotten and is not even in his mind. You see, they believe the lies that the enemy was telling them that they weren't a good mom. That you, 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 you're, just, you, you're just a piece of junk. You, you, you never go to amount to nothing. You're despicable. You're this and all these names. But how many know that Paul the Apostle said to the church at Corinth, and such were some of you. Mm-hmm. We weren't singing in the choir, my friend. Right, right. We, we were sinners. We we're sinners saved by grace, praise God, and thank God for that. But it struck me when I was doing this sermon, when you think about the people you've ministered to through the years, the shame and guilt that they carry. And it's in the church. It's in the church. It's on people's minds what they did 20 years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Even though they love God, I know they love God. And they praise God. They worship God. They sing unto the Lord. They come to church. They they do all these things. But there's this nagging thing behind them. There's this nagging thing that's following them. There's this demonic oppression that's trying to come upon them in an underhanded way to take them out. And it's time that the church raises up and preaches against this to help people be free by the power of God and be healed in the name of Jesus. What does the word havoc mean? Here's what it means. To affix a stigma, which means to label just as the liberal media labels Christians today. We're despicable. We're deplorable because we love God and we love our family and we love our children. We're deplorable because we don't believe in abortion. We don't believe in murdering a child. We're we're, we're terrible people because we love God and we love our family and we love our country. And so the word havoc is to put a label on someone. But it means this. It means to dishonor and disrespect. Hold that. It means to defile someone. It means to treat someone shamefully and with injury. It means to ravage like a wolf, like an animal, and lay waste. It means to devastate someone, to ruin them, to treat them disgracefully, to hurt them, to imperil and to destroy them. Do you know when you accept the disrespect from another person, you know what you're doing? 
you're allowing them to abuse you. You're allowing them to come into your house, your mind, and play havoc with you. And when we say nothing, what we're saying to that person, it's okay the way you treat me. I'll accept it. Why do we do that? Why do, why, why do we do that? Why do, why do we accept that lie that we're supposed to accept the disrespect and the name-calling from other people without a rebuttal? It's abuse. It's verbal abuse. It's emotional abuse. It's social abuse. It's spiritual abuse. And this is exactly what uh, Saul of Tarsus was doing. He was labeling the Christians of those days as deplorable people because they loved Jesus, because they wanted to worship God and love the Lord. Okay, so in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, to reinforce this verse just for a moment, the first part of the verse, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And in Acts 22, 4, it says, And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. You know, people don't realize that Saul of Tarsus caused the death of Christians. He had a lot to be forgiven for. Listen, he had a lot to be forgiven for because he was a murderer. He killed, he allowed Christians to be killed, not only persecuted, but to be destroyed and devastated as he labeled them that they were bad for society. So havoc. Let me delve into that word a little bit more. When the Bible says, and Saul made havoc of the church, it meant this. He was treating the church as filth. This is what it means in the Greek. It means to soil, to insult. It means to maltreat. But there's an interesting word here. It means to loosen. You see, when you receive abuse from others, it wears you down. It wearies you. And it could really loosen you from your faith if you're not careful because you believe the lie that God doesn't care for me at this moment because he would be defending me. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? It's very subtle. To havoc someone is a very subtle spirit. It's a demonic spirit, okay? And so it means to break up and demolish a person, to destroy the church, to dissolve and to melt, to put off your faith in God that God is on your side. How many times do people say, well, where's God when I need him? Boy, that's a lie. Right there. That's havoc. That's the enemy slipping in like a spirit, like a snake, trying to tell you that your God doesn't care. Because you know what the, uh, the powers of the enemy want to desire to happen in your life? The powers of the enemy want you to become controversial with God and have an argument with God and say to God, hey, listen, no, no, no. We're in the hand of God. We're being led by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And God is on our side. As Sister said, he's at our right hand. Amen? He's at our right hand. And you have to keep that in your mind constantly. This word, havoc, okay, means to deprive someone of authority. When the enemy brings a lie to you, and you accept that lie, all of a sudden, your authority as a believer has been diminished. It's been subverted. It's been taken down. 
Your banner over you, your protection over you, praise the Lord, has been taken away. Because the enemy wants to overthrow your faith. That's the final goal of the enemy, is to overthrow your faith and put you back in his trophy case. Because Jesus took you out of his trophy case and put your name in the Lamb's book of life. Are you following? So look what it says here. Because there's a pattern. And Saul made havoc of the church. Look at the word entering. This is an important word in Greek. Of course, it means to enter and to go into. Okay? But it means to not only enter and go into, it means to come against someone with intent and purpose. With intent and purpose. Listen, make no mistake about it. The powers of the enemy, okay, have an agenda to bring you down and to depress you and to work on your spirit. So look, what, look, look at the trace here. F- follow the meaning and the definition. It means with intent and purpose to cause you to perish and to traverse. And the word traverse means to cross a line. The enemy wants you to cross a line. He wants you to believe the lie that's attached to a wound or attached to some an- unanswered prayer or some unanswered expectation or whatever, he wants you to traverse that line and get into that controversy with God and say, you know what, God, this isn't fair. I didn't sign up for this. Hmm. The word entering means this. Someone that's pursuing you and continuing on their journey. The Bible says that when Jesus was tempted... For 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy left him for a season. Don't think that you're going to get rid of this enemy by one prayer. It's a constant warfare. It's a warfare for your home, for your health, for your finances, for your children, for your future. It's a constant warfare. And that warfare has grown in intensity because the enemy knows that his time is short. And the only way that it can hurt God, because he can't hurt God directly, is by hurting the children of God, the sons and daughters of God. And that's what he's trying to do. And that's what his aim is. He's trying to get us into a conflict with God. This word entering, okay, listen carefully, right? It means to help someone depart from life, from spiritual life. It means... To help someone become an adherent, which means make a believer out of you by believing the lie and causing a spiritual divorce between you and Jesus. Do you follow this? This entering is your mind. Your house is your mind. And the enemy wants to come into your mind to cause a spiritual divorce between you and your husband who is Jesus, because you're the bride. Oh, you didn't hear what I just said. He wants to cause a divide like he does in marriages in our home. Like he does in our churches. Like he does in our country. He wants to cause division. Make no mistake, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against powers and rules and spiritual wickedness and principalities and higher places. We're fighting demonic forces, my friend, and people need to understand that in the spiritual warfare of what's going on in our homes and our churches and in our country. There's a python spirit, and I preached on this some time ago, that's trying to take the breath of us 
through masks and trying to take our spiritual breath away from us as church people and as followers of Christ. Trying to smother us and take the breath out of us because that's what a python snake does. It wraps around a person very, very seductively until it takes the breath out of a human being. The enemy is trying to take the oxygen, so to speak, out of the air of our country. And he's trying to get us to believe that this is just doom and gloom and just let's wait for the hammer to fall because we can't fight this monstrosity. That's the lie. We can't, we, we're too weak to fight this. We're the church, my friend. We're believers. We have the authority of Christ. We've been saved by the power of blood of Jesus Christ. We've been saved in the name of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved. We are the chosen. We are the anointed. We are the called out. We are the peculiar people. We are the army of God that needs to come out of the cave. We're stagnant. We're stagnant. We're playing the maintenance game. We're believing the lies. That's all we talk about is the lies. All we're talking about is what the enemy is doing. But I'm here to tell you that God has to be doing something more because the Bible says when sin doth abound, grace doth more abound in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And God is working in your life and he's working in my life. So praise God. Hallelujah. All is not for naught. The enemy wants to make you a devotee. Mm, I love that word. A follower. And he wants to lead your life in a different direction. Follow. It just gets intense. Make no mistake about this. The enemy will try to enter every house. And I'm defining house as your mind. And those houses that let him in, he will destroy systematically without hesitation. He's a roaring lion. And, and, and if you know anything about a lion, a lion is very, very slow to get the prey. He's very cunning. He's a smart animal. He knows. He just sets it all up. And he's not in a hurry, but he knows what the goal is, and the goal is to get the prey. Listen, follow this. Our house must be built upon the rock, Amen. and you all know the scripture that Jesus said, if you build your house on the sand, it's going to sink. When the winds come and the floods come and the rains come, it's going to sink. And listen, the rain is here. The wind is here. The floods are here, but it doesn't mean we have to sink. Listen, where are you this morning? You're sitting in the house of God. Where are you this morning? You're sitting here singing unto Jesus. Where you're not called up in some hole somewhere. You didn't dig a hole in your backyard this morning and say, I'm gonna bury my head because it's just too intense. No, what did you say? I'm putting on my battle clothes, I'm putting on my war cry. I'm a child of God, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord, and I'm going to the house of God, and I'm gonna praise my God, and I'm gonna worship my God, and I'm gonna pray spiritual warfare against the powers of the enemy that's coming against my home we're not dead because God's not dead some people say well God's dead I said how's that I'm next to kin I didn't get notified 
People say, God's dead. I said, wait a minute, I'm next to kin. I'm in the will. Amen. I haven't been notified of the death of God. Mm-hmm. Have you? Yeah. That's why you're here, because you believe he's alive. Yeah. That's why you're here. That's why you come to church. That's why you make that sacrifice and say, hey, I've had a hard week, and most of us had a hard week. But you don't stay home and say, hey, forget about it. Feel sorry for myself. No, you're chugged on. You're pushed on. You're pressed yeah. into the presence of God. And you said, God, I'm going anyway, even if I don't feel that great. Make no mistake, the enemy will try to come into your mind. It reminds you of the scripture in Psalm 127.1. Except the Lord build the house. Look at the word. They labor in vain that build it. Except, look at the word, the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain. Listen, you can't work this up. You can't try to figure this out by yourself. Because we're limited. But God is an unlimited God. And he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You have power. You have authority. And the enemy wants to take that away from you by using subtle lies to make you doubt who you are and call you names and hit you with a broomstick in the corner of a room somewhere and beat you. And how many people allow the enemy to beat them? I'm tired of getting beaten. I'm tired of disrespect. I'm tired of being called names by people who don't even know God. I'm tired of people being called stupid because they won't kneel, but kneel only to Jesus Christ. That's wrong. That's wrong. Man can do whatever they want. No one's stopping them. You can get on full fours if all I care. That's what you want to do. But don't interfere with my worship of God. Don't interfere with my belief of God. Don't interfere with what I am doing in my life. Praise God for Jesus Christ. And if you want to make fun of me, praise God. I'll say something back to you. We are not illegitimate children at a family reunion. I say we're not illegitimate children at the family reunion. We're not outcasts. We sit at the table of the master. And there's no higher position to be sitting at the table of the master, my friend. Make no mistake about that. Don't let the enemy bring these words to your mind or attach some lie to a wound that's happened to you. We'll talk more about this. So what happened in this verse? And Saul made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women. What does the word hailing mean? It means to trail a person. It means to drag them out and draw them. It means to take that person for themselves. To take up or away. It means someone that raises their voice towards you and disrespects you. That's what hailing is. And that's what Saul was doing. He was going into people's homes and railing against them, hailing against them. And the Bible says that word means to keep someone in in suspense, the mind especially. This word healing means to to keep someone in, in suspense. It means to cause someone to sail away like a boat, sailing away from the dock without direction. 
See, this is the game of the enemy. The healing part is this, is to sail you away, to take you away from your faith and to cause you to weigh anchor, to become stagnant and believe the lies and then to expose you to sin because now you're in a vulnerable position. When you begin to believe that lie and you begin to think that you are a piece of junk, you begin to act out that you are a piece of junk. It's kind of like a kid in school. If you call a kid stupid in the second grade, he's going to probably think, if you call him stupid over and over, he's going to probably think by the fourth grade, you know what, that teacher was right, I am stupid. And he'll act out stupid. And he's not stupid. But someone puts a label on him. Don't let somebody put a label on your kid. Don't let someone speak into the spirit of your child some nonsense. Don't let it. Rebuke it. Say, we don't accept that. You know that, that, that guy that comes in the brown truck, the, the, the United Parcel Man? Don't, don't sign for every package that comes to your door because some of those packages come from hell. And say to the man, and respectfully, I'm not signing for this one. Send it back to sender. Return to sender. Address unknown. We sign too many packages. We accept too many lies. We accept the havoc and we accept the hailing. Because hailing is punishment. Hailing is taking someone for themselves. Hailing is someone voting for you and saying, you're mine. No, I am not yours. I used to be yours. But praise God, the king came. And the king took me out of prison. And now I'm his. Thank you, Jesus. We got to learn to fight. Not lay down. Not accept opinions. The enemy wants to hail you to emotional paralysis and stunt your spiritual growth. Follow. What did happen here in this verse? He entered into every house hailing men and women and he committed them to prison. He caused them to surrender. And you're going to see this in the last day. People are going to give up. People are going to say, what's the use? People are going to throw their arms up in the air and wave the white flag and say, you know what? It's not worth it no more. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to serve God. I don't want to get persecuted. I don't want the enemy to come against me. Listen, to not make a decision is to make a decision. So we might as well just decide to follow Jesus and be done with it. And let the chips fall where they may. Because, listen, you have to believe we are in the hands of God. I said, we are in the hands of God. And look at all God has brought you through through the years. Look at the resume of God in your life. And that's what you've got to, praise God, press into. And you've got to say to yourself, okay, what did God do for me? What has he done for me in the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And look at the resume. As God has pulled you through, away from the powers of evil, to keep you on this side of the fence. He committed them to prison. What is prison? It means to cause someone to become isolated. Now let me stop here for a moment. That's what prison is. It's isolation from society. It's isolation from family. It's isolation from friends. What are criminals? I said we're not criminals. 
There's no handcuffs on us. We don't have an ankle bracelet on. They're not monitoring us because we committed some crime. But when we allow the enemy to play havoc with us and to hail us and to disrespect us, people get weak and they start to surrender and they start to isolate and that is the place of ambush. Follow, keep that thought in mind because I'm going to come back to this in a moment. At the end. When I see someone isolate, I know you're in spiritual trouble. And I don't even have to know what the issue is. I just know it as a pastor. Listen, I've been doing this for a long time. This is not new for me. When I see someone isolate, all I do is wait and say, God, all I could do is pray. But there's going to be an ambush if that person doesn't understand and realize what's going on because they are actually believing a lie. And not only do they go to isolation, but the Lord, but the enemy of their soul drives them to sin. And then the shame, and then the guilt, and then he reinforces, you are a piece of junk. You're not a believer. You're not a follower of Christ. Look at you. Look at you. What a terrible cycle to be put in as a Christian. And this happens over and over in the church world. And that's why people give up and they say, forget about it, okay? So the enemy wants to deliver you up to his custody. And he wants to spiritually handcuff you and cause emotional and spiritual paralysis. So let's talk about something here for a moment. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walking, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. What does it mean to be sober? It means, very simply, to watch. To be self-controlled, to be cautious, to be prudent, to be careful, to be guarded, and to stay cool, calm, and collected. So that's very hard to do, Pastor. Yes, it is. Because the enemy wants to rock your house. The enemy wants to move upon you and make you tense and make you stressful. The enemy wants to upset the balance of your home, the balance of your life. Because he is a roaring lion, and he's very cunning on the way he works in an underhanded way. It says, be sober and be vigilant. That's our part. To be vigilant means this, to arouse and rise from sleep. It means to watch and give strict attention to what's happening. Some people have no clue what's happening in their home. They have no clue what's happening in the world. They have no clue what's happening in their life. Everybody else sees it, but they're blind. Because the enemy has pulled the wool over their eyes and taken them for a ride, and they don't even know it. Because they have a controversy with God. Oh, I can't serve God. My friends aren't serving God. My friends are doing this. Everybody's doing this. Not everybody's doing that. That's right. Not everybody's serving the devil. Right. Not everybody is, is, is doing bad things. No. There's a lot of good people in this world. But that doesn't make headlines. That doesn't make, make press. It doesn't make headlines when a, when a child's an honor student. Who wants to hear about that? No one wants to read about a child being an honor student. No one wants to read about a young student uh, getting an achievement award. Who wants to read that? You know what we want to hear? Gory details. Right. Want to hear nonsense. Yellow journalism is what it's called. Because it sells newspapers. It brings people to the networks. It brings visitors. It brings people out. It, it, it raises the ratings. And some of the sites that people go on, I've noticed, one is trying to up the other with some kind of story. 
that sometimes isn't quite actual, factual, and true. But emotional. To try to get you to have fear when they're supposed to be on your side. And they're not. Because they don't tell the whole truth about what's been said in a quote or what's been written in a statement. And they take one little portion of it because they want people to come to their site and like their site so that they can get more hits. Listen, there's something wrong with that, my friend. See, that's the enemy trying to come into our house to dissuade us about certain things. So what happens? It says, be vigilant. Okay? Because here's what it means. It means to take heed, lest through remission, laziness, idleness, sloth, inactivity, or apathy, that some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes you. It's kind of like, I didn't know my kid was on drugs. Mom, I've been on drugs for five years. Where have you been? I didn't know my kid was sneaking out at night through the window. This is big. I've had experiences with this. Mom, where have you been for the last few years? Where have you been? What have you been doing? Working? Busy? Not paying attention? This is what happens in the Christian home. We're not paying attention. And then all of a sudden we work up to a nightmare. And we say, oh my God. What am I going to do? It's kind of like the father that brought the young teenage 16-year-old boy to the camp, Christian camp. Ministry for young people. He sat down in the office and he pulled out his wallet and he said, how much is this going to cost me? And the pastor said, you're 16 years too late, sir. You're 16 years too late, sir. It's not about your wallet. It's not what it's going to cost you. Where you been as a dad? Where you been as the authority of your home? Where you been as the spiritual leader of your home? Where you been? You've been absent. You've been absent. And that's the plague of the church. Absenteeism. Absenteeism. No leadership. No authority. Because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. You know what? When I lived under my parents' roof, it was their rules right. and their regulations. That's right. And you did not dishonor or disrespect or talk back to your mother, especially, or your sister, because you'd find yourself in a very, very bad predicament with your dad. And trust me, my dad meant what he said. Today is just total disrespect. Kicking, spitting, biting, wanting my way, temper tantrums. You know what? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But the rod, yo, I know people don't want to hear that and see that on a video. But the rod drives it from them. I had to get whacked one time when I was a kid. And you know what, sissy? I was smart enough to figure it out the deal and say, oh, I did not like and in our house, it was one of those policeman bats with leather straps in it. The broom closet, I could still smell the broom closet. And when the broom closet opened, that bat was coming out with those leather straps. And you know who had that bat in their hand? It was your mama. 
and all it took was one time to swipe your leg. Whoa, lady! And then see that finger. The finger of wrath. Woo! It didn't take long for me to figure it out that I needed to behave. And that's why they said, Mrs. Colombo, you have the most well-behaved children in Brooklyn. You know why? Because we were scared to death to misbehave. <laughs> we minded. My mother told me when we go to someone's home to visit, you sit on a chair. And if they ask you if you want something, you look at us. And we'll tell you yes or no. You know what? I learned to say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir at a young age. I learned to make my bed, do chores, learn how to sew, learn how to cook, learn how to work a vacuum cleaner. Come on, learn how to do the wash and the dry and all that. Put the clothes on the line. You know why? Because my mother was, praise God, training me in boot camp. So I didn't starve to death when I got older. I just threw that in for nothing. Praise the Lord. He's, he's a roaring lion. He howls at us. And what is a lion? A lion has great strength. And it's, it's interesting that both Christ and Satan are referred to as a lion. Satan as a roaring lion and Christ as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Who walketh about. You know, people think, hey, I'm not worried about today. I'm going to just sort of sit on my lees here while the enemy is walking about trying to hail you in your house, in your mind, trying to move in. See, all he needs is a crack in the door. That's all, that's all he needs. He just needs a little, a, little, a little crack in the door. And what does it mean to walk about? It means to make progress, okay? And to make due use of opportunities. He tries to seize the opportunity. Oh, I see you're down. I see you're a little disappointed with work. I, I see your spouse is disappointing to you. I, I see your children got you down today. And so he, he, he gets in there. He, he tries to use the opportunity to seize your mind, to, to, to come into your house. And it's his machinations and persecutions that come against you to treat you with insult and contempt. Make you feel bad. You're not a good mother. Because if you were a good mother, your kid wouldn't be this way. Hey, listen. I'm reading this book now that was very convicting. Chapter 9. It's about becoming a, a king. And this man wrote, he said, you know, as a leader, he said, I try to do everything for everybody. I'm going to take care of myself. And he made one statement. He says, your 15 years of bad choices is not my emergency. Your 15 years of bad choices does not constitute my emergency. Hello? You know? Everybody makes choices. Kids make choices. Parents make choices. Spouses make choices. Church members make choices. It's individual. All we can do is the best we know how in Christ. To encourage, to give the word, to pray. Sometimes you got to let go 
and let God. Because you can talk until you're blue in the face and all you're doing is expanding breath and wind and heartbeats that you don't need to expand right now. Because you know what? They're closed. They're shut down. They have believed a lie so badly in their mind that they don't believe God loves them, that their mother doesn't love them, their father doesn't love them, their pastor doesn't love them. They have believed so many lies. They have created a city in their mind. The enemy has actually occupied them. It's an occupation zone. Occupied their mind by coming in and shutting them down and getting them to believe, hey, I'm going to find relief through sin. I'm going to find relief through stupid music. Stupid music. Foul music. Filthy music. Foul and filthy. Piped into their brain with headphones. <laughs> Keep piping it in. And all it's doing is feeding you lies into your spirit. So that one of these days you're going to wake up and you're going to be so far from the truth you won't even know your name. It's a nightmare. Don't think kids are going to run away from home anymore, I say. No, they're going to stay home as much as they can to persecute their parents. To blame them. It's your fault. And you know, sometimes it is mom's fault. And sometimes it is dad's fault. And they have to own that. But you know what? The choices that you make, especially for sin, is your choice, not my choice. I don't trust your arm to smoke a joint. I don't trust your arm to push the button on your computer to watch pornography. I don't push that button. You do. That's your choice. And maybe your mom's been there. Maybe your dad. Who knows? Maybe the pastor hasn't been all that you want him to be. That's fine. But your choice is your choice that you will have to give an answer to God for. Follow me here for a few moments. He walketh about seeking. He wants to find you. He's aiming to strive after you, to demand, to demand something from you. He wants you to devour you. And to devour means to swallow up, to drink down, and to destroy you. This is the work of the enemy. This is not a joke, my friend. This isn't a cartoon. This isn't a, a guy with a, with a big tail and a pitchfork and some horns coming out of his head. This was the worship leader in heaven. This was the one that wanted God's job. This is the one that was thrown out of heaven. Jesus said, I saw him as lightning fall from the sky. This is the one that had the power to take one-third of heaven's angels away and cause them to become demonic spirits. So follow. I want to try to bring this to where it needs to go. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and healing men and women, and he committed them to prison. So what's the cycle here? I want to show you the cycle. As soon as you accept the havoc, and the havoc is the label the enemy wants you to accept about your past, about your sin, about what you've done, that Jesus has forgiven, okay? The label, as you, soon as you accept the havoc of the enemy, you give consent for that enemy to continue in your life. As soon as you accept the lie, as soon as you believe that lie, you've traversed. You've crossed a little line there that gives him permission legally now to assault you and to commit you to spiritual prison. Follow. To gain entrance, to begin hailing you. When you receive the havoc and you accept the label, okay, 
you give him permission to begin hailing you, which means to take you and separate you from something. I'll get to that in a moment. And the end result is capture. Capturing your thoughts and your emotions to imprison you. So here's what the enemy does. The enemy desires your consent. Just agree with me. Agree with me what, what I'm telling you about you is true. Agree with me. Yeah, I'm not worth it. I don't measure up. Yeah, I'm a piece of junk. Yeah, I guess my parents were right. I never did amount to much. What have I accomplished? Where am I going? What am I doing? Who really cares about me? Hear all those lies? Hear all that? Those run around in our head every day, every day, every day. And all he's getting you to do is wanting you to consent to those lies. You're a bad mom, you're a bad dad, you're a bad pastor, you're a bad blah, blah, blah. Okay? So, when you give consent, your consent is your agreement with what he is saying that is destructive and unfruitful. Because anything that comes from that world, the dark world, is not healthy. It's destructive and unhealthy. Follow the line here. The enemy desires to create havoc in your life, especially in your spirit. And what is the havoc? The havoc is a destructive force that loosens you up. He gets you loose. Loosens you up to help the enemy gain entrance to your house. You see, the enemy wants to shake you down a little bit. He, he puts a little piece of cheese out there. He, he says something to you, and you start to think, yeah, my dad did say that about me when I was seven years old. Yeah, I remember my school teacher said that. Well, where's all this coming from? How old are you? You're a grown person. And all of a sudden, you're going back to your past. Who's bringing me back there? Who's, who's hailing me? Who's, who's creating havoc in my life? What's going on here? Because this destructive force, once it gains entrance to your house, the havoc stage is a downward spiral of depression that begins to set in. Haven't you noticed how people go through the down, what we call the downward spiral in counseling of depression? It starts here. It starts with a lie. And then it goes like this, like a spiral. And before you know it, they're shut down. They're totally shut down. Not talking, isolated, ready for ambush. Don't even come into my space. Don't even talk. I just don't. Not happening. I know what's happening. I know there's havoc in that life. And I know that someone is hailing them. And it's not Jesus, praise God, at this point. The, ha the havoc stage is the downward spiral of depression that sets in. It makes you weak spiritually to accept entrance of oppression. You're right. You're right. I don't know why I haven't seen that. You're right. I'm just a piece of junk. You're right. The enemy desires to enter, come against the individual with specific intent and purpose. He has an agenda with the desire that the person perish. Make no mistake about it, my friend. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. All he needs is a little crack in the door. He enters, he makes havoc, okay, with insults and mistreatments. His goal is to loosen you from your faith, to break you,
to destroy, to dissolve and loosen you from your relationship with Jesus Christ. What he desires to do is to melt your heart so that you put off your faith. Is this registering? I said, is this registering? He just wants to melt your heart. Not in a good way. Not in a loving way. To get you believe, to believe that God does not care about you at this moment. He's forgotten you. He's put you on a shelf. How many times has the enemy said this to you? You're just a speck of sand in the beach. You're just a speck of sand somewhere. You're a nobody. And we accept it. Instead of saying, I'm a somebody. And you know why I'm a somebody? Because Jesus saved me and forgave me. And my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And he says, I am ordained. He says, I'm anointed. He calls me even peculiar. But he also calls me his beloved. When you refute the enemy with the word. When you refute the roaring lion, he shut his mouth. Because he can't handle the word. He hates the word. And if you have to put on some good Christian music, it drives him crazy. He's got to flee because he does not want you to worship God. That's why he was thrown out of heaven. He was jealous of the worship of God by angels. Just put on some music. Don't sit there and get slammed with a, with a sledgehammer and get slammed with a broomstick. And then feel sorry for yourself. And then have pity party. And hope someone's going to come to your aid and feel sorry for you. But someone should come to your aid and kick you in and you know where and say, get up and arise and arouse yourself in the name of Jesus Christ. It's no time to sit down. Amen. We need the Calvary. Amen. I said we need the Calvary. Pastor needs the Calvary. Amen. I don't want to look out the window and say, well, where are they? I want to hear the hoofbeats of the horse. I don't think you have to come to church on a sled. I don't care if the Mennonites have to bring you in a wagon. It don't matter. Every pastor looks for the Calvary. Every pastor is encouraged when he sees the people of God praise God that are attentive to the word, that want to hear the word. You know what? I couldn't preach this message in most churches in America. They give me 10 minutes to introduce myself and whoosh me off the stage. Never to come back. And that's happened to me in Pentecostal churches. Oh yeah. I said that's happened to me in Pentecostal. That's my wife. That I'll never return to some churches because it's too strong, Colombo. That's why your people are dead. That's why when I walk across your altar and your stage, I can hear the floorboard creak. And they give more worship to God than the people in the pews. And they tell me your people are dead. Not when you give them the freedom to worship and praise God. Not when you give them permission. All of a sudden, they come alive. I've been in those churches. And the pastor had to go hide somewhere in a corner. I thought your people were dead. No, they're not dead. You're dead, my friend. You need a revival. You need to come to the altar. And you need for God to do a revolution in your heart. Let me try to close here. He enters with insult and mistreatment. He delights in healing men and women. 
And this means to trail you with the intent to drag you and draw you and take you for himself. He raises his voice at you. He demands, instilling fear. That's what an abuser does. He desires to keep your mind in suspense, to sail you away and drop the anchor from your spiritual ship. The goal is one of isolation, removal, and done away with. His game is to make you doubt the promises of God and remove you from your faith, causing spiritual death. So here's what happens. The enemy is committed in getting you to surrender, to yield, to give up, and to give in and give over. And he wants to cage you up and imprison you and isolate you from your faith, your friends, and your fellowship. Follow this as I close. This is the goal. Number one. Three things the enemy of our soul desires to accomplish in your life, in my life. Number one, to separate you from your husband, Jesus Christ. Unless you see yourself as a bride, you'll never see Christ as a husband. You, you just won't. Unless you see yourself as the bride of Christ, you'll never see yourself looking at Jesus as your husband. His desire is to separate you from your husband, Jesus Christ. From his fellowship and relationship and intimacy with God. The enemy desires to bring about a spiritual divorce between you and Jesus. There's physical divorce. There's spiritual divorce. The goal of the enemy is to get you to divorce Jesus. Number two, to separate you from your husband's faith. The faith of the Son of God. Galatians 2.20, Paul said this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, listen to this now, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The enemy desires to separate you from the faith of the Son of God. That's right. Divorce you from God? Jesus, divorce you from your faith. And this is a very important one, number three. To separate you from your husband's children. Follow. <coughs> church fellowship. Church family. Hebrews 10.24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more, so much the more what? As you see the day approaching. You know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to isolate. He wants to ambush. He wants to isolate. He wants to ambush. He wants to isolate. He wants to ambush. He wants to take you away from your husband, Jesus. He wants to take you away from the faith of your husband, the son of God. And he wants to take you away from your husband's children, which is the fellowship of the church and how many people believe that lie and accept it and say well I'm not going to church I'm not fellowship I'm not talking I don't want to be intimate with God why would I want to be intimate with other people and Expose myself to others. He shuts you down. He shuts people down. And that's why most people talk shallow talk. 
That's why people are shallow, surface, talk about nothing. Instead of talking about what is Jesus doing? What is Jesus saying? What does the word of God say to me today concerning my life and my situation? How can I get hope and encouragement from God's word instead of listening to the voice that's trying to enter into the mind of my being to havoc me, to play havoc and to heal me, to get me to surrender and say, yeah, you're right, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. God don't care. I'm losing my faith. I don't feel like reading the word of God. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like praising. I don't feel like raising my hand. I, I don't feel like doing none of that. You know what you're doing? You're allowing the enemy to play games with you. And you know who's winning? He's winning. And you don't want to know something? It's the bottom of the ninth inning, my friend. And the bases are loaded. And you're a baddie. Come on, Jimmy. You know, we've been there. It's an exciting moment to be. To be. Exciting. I'll close with this. I remember one time I was playing some professional baseball and I was a pitcher and the coach put me in as a pinch hitter. And this big left-hander who was being scouted by the Philadelphia Phillies and I'm a left-handed batter was pitching. And my at-bat represented the time run. All I needed was a base hit. And my boyhood idol was Willie Mays growing up in Brooklyn. And my friends, we used to argue who was better, Willie Mays, Duke Snyder, or Mickey Mantle. <laughs> and I, I'll say to you this day, Willie Mays was the best all-around baseball player ever. Base running, throwing, catching, fielding, batting, hitting home runs, and so on. And that day, I'm facing this big left-handed. He was huge, man. He threw pellets. He threw what we call smoke. It was like... <laughs> Smoke. And it seemed like an insurmountable at bat. A left handed batter against a left handed pitcher being scouted by the Philadelphia Phillies, a monster. And I stepped in. And you know, Willie used to go like this. He used to bounce in that. And he used to pull the bat back like that. Because he was a right handed hitter. But I, I pulled the bat back. At that moment, I was Willie Mays. First pitch. Oh man. Did he just throw that? Oh. I stepped back in. I'm, ba I'm Willie now. I backed that bat like that. That big left hand. Everybody's cheering. Thank God there's three. I gotta, I gotta get a hit. I can't go back there. I got the coach coming. I'll, I'll be running laps for the next 10 years of my life. You gotta be kidding me. I said, I'm coming for you, buddy. Me and Willie's coming for you. I know this is an insurmountable man. You're a monster. He's a, he's, he was like Dick Raddatz, that old famous relief pitcher. He, he, huge. I was huge. He was massive. He's like Goliath. Here I am, I'm Willie again. Like this. And I'm bouncing. And here it comes. Boom! Hi! Hit! Base hit! Left field! 
Renner on second, rounding third, coming home, game is tied, praise God. We go on to win the game, they're going to the championship. Why? Because praise God. I looked at the giant and I said, Willie's coming for it. One of the greatest moments of my life as a kid, as a youngster. These are our greatest moments. Amen. It's bases loaded, Jimmy. That's right. And we're at bat. Right. And we gotta pull that bat back. Because God's dependent on us. Because I don't know if you're Willie Mays, Duke Snyder, or Mickey Mantle, choose your player. But whoever you are, step into the batter's box and do a little of this and say, I'm waiting for you, Goliath. Throw what you want at me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I will get a base hit. And I will clear these bases. And we will win this game in the bottom of the ninth inning. That's the church that I know. That's the church here that I believe will rise to its feet in the last day and become part of the remnant church and say no to the voices of hell that try to come into our minds and say in the name of Jesus Christ, we shall overcome, we shall prevail because we are the children of God. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to speak your word this morning. A revelation to my soul, Lord. Lord, don't let allow the enemy help me to make those good choices. And don't allow the enemy to play havoc with my mind and hail me in my soul, in my spirit, to cause me to believe some lies. But God, raise me up and raise up this church, oh God, to come forward in the name of Jesus and hit a home run against the enemy. Because God, in the end, when we read the last page of the book, we win and we are victorious. To him that overcometh, and Lord, we are overcomers in you. Bless the people that are here. Bless those that will view this tape and listen. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for coming.